In a land far away, once upon a time, Brendan, Vicky B, partners in crime. We danced through life like, like a couple of gays. But as time went by, we went our separate ways. Now we're back together, talking about whatever. Talking about the music that, that we, we love forever. Hooking you up like a telephone jack. Everybody listen up, we're getting back on track. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Back on Track. Hey, Vicky. Hey, Brandon. What's going on? You know, it's been a little while. It has been a while. I've really missed you. I know. Me too. We did just put out an episode recently that we had recorded some time ago um, with our guest, John. That was really fun. That was a super blast. I yeah. had a real good time doing that. It was kind of fun to have um, a new character. And there's the going to be more of that coming up yeah, soon. Definitely. I can't wait. No doubt. No doubt. Well, the reason for the pause, as you're well aware, is... Um, I did have, you know, a, a sad time for my family, which uh, was a, you know, big fan of the show. <laughs> my uh, my dad, he uh, he died in January, and um, you know, it was it was really sad. He's been uh, he fought a, a long battle with cancer, and uh, he was a real inspiration throughout all of it. Always looking for ways to live and um, ways to keep you know, connected with family and friends and travel. And it's just, um, he lived a really beautiful life and was a real demonstration in his death. And um, I don't know. So it's been a time. It's a weird adjustment to make. Yeah, yeah. It was very special being there for you, Brendan, through all of that. And, you know, you and your brother... um and your stepbrother put together a beautiful memorial, multimedia. I had no idea that you guys were from such an intellectual background. I had no idea that you guys were so deeply involved with technology. And I think it's it's crazy that here we find ourselves basically living out your father's dream. And that's one of the things that really resonated with me through the whole process is like, your father would be so proud of you guys. And he really, he, he was. I mean, he loved the show, like you said, so much to the point that actually, you know, as you were delivering your your message to everybody. You did your own little version of, of Back on Track, I right? did, I did. It was, you know, it was really hard to figure out what kind of remarks, uh, remembrance I wanted to share. Um, we had about, you know, I don't know, 150 or so people there. So it was a big room and, um, you know, I had, I had planned one thing, but I was actually trying to pull together the whole um, celebration of life. And so obviously sort of my little piece of it I left for last. Uh, so the night before I was trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, one of the last text messages I received from my dad, um, it was the second to last text message, was um, all about this podcast. Yeah. He had just listened to our episode about uh, movie soundtracks. And I had uh, told the story about Beaches, which is a little bit of a you know an emotional movie and um he was in the hospital that morning and he was looking out the window and listening to the show and uh he just you know he felt really thankful and expressed a lot of you know gratitude for being able to have had you know this life together and in hindsight you know he clearly knew what was coming mm -hmm. um you know, based on the tone and, and content of his text. But um, in the moment, it just felt really special. So anyway, I decided to put together, you know, three songs that were really all about these key moments with my dad and, and share with everyone that, for me, music has always been a place where, you know, I can feel all my feelings. And I think a lot of people feel that way. That's why they're driven to either write music or listen to music or, or analyze it or music. play someone else's music. Yeah, yeah, it's this place where you can tap into some things that can be hard to to otherwise voice or contemplate. Totally, totally. Well, he's he's I've always felt his presence in all of your selection, in your whole timeline, in your whole story. He's obviously been a huge influence and continues to be. Like I know he will and in looking at what we have today, um definitely is going to be a huge part of it. So yeah, in, in keeping with that, today's episode is is all about tear jerkers, folks. Tear jerkers. I, <laughs> I've been jerking tears for about 8 weeks now. <laughs> well, why stop now, girl, honey? Um, but you know what? Something about that is so cathartic. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. been, it's a very weird thing because it's obviously a huge loss and, and, and crying is something that we sometimes all feel a bit uncomfortable with for different, in different ways, but it really is so healing and everything about this process, while certainly sad, has also been really beautiful at the yeah, same time yeah. and there is a beauty in that and um, not that we want to celebrate sadness, but I do think we want to, you know, tap into acknowledge those. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and these beautiful moments certainly these beautiful moments through all of our filters as family members as as spouses as sons you know what i mean like uh, uh, on all of those levels all of the beautiful moments like that side of the thing completely you know? 
So, <laughs> all right, big inhale, big exhale. Yes, girl. Okay. Speaking of exhaling. Speak- oh, do you, have a, do you have a first hit? I do have a first hit. We're going to okay. start with the queen of waiting to exhale herself, the songstress of our generation, Miss Whitney Houston. My first song is I Look to You. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Nothing to do but lift my head. I look Well, you know, this is very um, timely because we recently had to acknowledge, I think it was the five-year anniversary of her death, yeah. which was just uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And then most recently, tragically, her, her daughter Ugh. also passed. So this whole... Vicky, do you remember scenario, I was at your house the night she died? I do remember. And I remember that night that you were dusting our furniture for the Tupperware party that we were going to have the next day in my blue heels. I and know. And we were listening to Didn't We Almost Have It All. Uh, and, and we almost did. We almost did. And, uh, you know, and for a while there she did. Uh, I mean, Whitney Houston, I mean, we, we've already talked about her, and there's still not enough you can say about her. Um, I don't think a lot of people know this about me, but I actually am a very spiritual person. I might not be religious necessarily, but Whitney was definitely very spiritual. And I have a lot to say about that last album. You know, it was it, it was it got mixed reception because we weren't getting the normal vocal pyrotechnics and gymnastics that we used to get from her. And that last tour was also really difficult. And it's well, you of, could hear the strain in her voice. The strain I mean, it was and the tough. difficult with the breath and things like that. It's it's tough. Um, it's really tough to maintain and th- through everything that she's been she had been through. And that tour was really tough to watch. It's not the same. It's not the same kind of thing by any means. But there is, there was a, um, I don't know that she was celebrating in the same way, but that last tour did remind me so much of like the, you know, towards the end of Judy's career and just sort of watching someone sort of sing difficult things and really living difficult moments at the same time. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. And the people, so this is where the real fans and like the real supporters of her as a person, I believe, rose up, you know, to the top of her support and and the people that had just been sort of casual sort of like let's see what the chick can do type of people really kind of fell off at that point because we were getting life stories now in these songs the all of a sudden didn't we almost have it all became holy crap like you know we might not yeah. have anything at all in about 5 minutes and this, so this album came out this is the first you know the first single from the album written by R Kelly um uh, produced by Emmanuel Kiraku and Tricky Stewart with Harvey Mason Jr. Um, and actually the version that I've included on this mix was re-recorded as a duet with R. Kelly and released seven months after her death. It's now a part of the I Will Always Love You, the Best of Whitney Houston compilation. So it's a duet. It's a little bit slower. There's some harmonica in it. But this song kills me. It absolutely kills me. What is it? Um, what is it about it for you that really gets to the heart? I think that it's it's definitely existential. It's like this woman is on her knees and she's saying, I've tried everything. I've tried all that there is to do. There's nothing more that I can do at this point. But as they say, give it to God. It's sort of like when your back's up against the wall and you don't know what way you can turn. You can turn to your faith and your spirituality, whatever that is. And there's something so beautiful about catching a person in that moment or you yourself being in that moment where you're like, I, ha- I have nothing. I just have to, I have to give it up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that, yeah, which the lyric is, every road that I've taken led to my regret. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Nothing to do but lift my head. And it's like hearing her sing Oof. those words and knowing what was happening yeah. and what ultimately did happen sends me right off. Well, and I then how interesting, it. too, that, you know, R. Kelly's the duet partner. Someone else totally. who, you know, like him or not, you can certainly see the struggles that he's been through. And yeah, he's been dealing with it, and especially lately. I mean, like, on Huffington Post, he, he got into a shouting match with a woman that was interviewing him that uh, people people want to know what the real tea is and he doesn't want to talk about it all the time so that's another thing that uh, uh, with Whitney Houston and, and all this it brings to 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 the table for me an existential question it's sort of what happens what is a celebrity or like a singer or something like that what are they worth to us when they no longer can produce whatever it was that made them you know what I'm saying yeah. if Mariah couldn't whistle anymore if Whitney couldn't sing anymore if you know if if um if God, what's her name? Julia Roberts couldn't act anymore. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, they're still there in the public eye, and we Uh still love them, but, like, what is their place their What's their worth? What's their place? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that for you it's it's so... 
it's it's so cutting because of all of the stories you're talking about of it being about Whitney? Or do you think if it was another singer, the song would have the same kind of resonance for you? I think that uh, Whitney being who she was, being the torchbearer. I mean, literally, you can't watch American Idol or you get, nobody's singing career gets started without having her as a footnote in it. So it's sort of like uh, when you're the standard bearer, you know, Prince couldn't play anymore, you know, like, and then then it really gets down to your worth as a, a human being, your humanity. Do we care about these people beyond what they can do for us? Do we care about them on a human level? And I and I really think that this song, for to start off the whole thing, really gets into sort of where my spirituality is based at and my fascination with pop culture and with the people that we talk about. Absolutely. You know, do you yeah. have Do you have something well, like that? The one thing that I wanted to kind of kick off my list with is, um, you know, someone who has had a lot of struggle as well, and um, you know, who who released a song, you know, back in the '80s that was just transformational for culture. Um, I want to talk about Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you. I know, right? This is an iconic song. Totally. Um, And so interesting, of course. um, I didn't realize this until we started prepping for this episode, but I didn't know there was another Prince connection. Oh, girl. No, this is one of the big ones, honey. And they have a relationship, too, the two of them. It's very adversarial. I was going to say, I mean, yeah, a relationship. A (laughs) A strange relationship. Not a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently a physical uh, one. That's what I heard, Not in the sexual way. Mm -hmm. Um, in the real aggressive, ag- aggressive. <laughs> he told her yes. that she, he didn't like her swearing in her interviews, and she told him to basically fuck off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's that's the quote. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you pick the um, song? What it- I picked the song because you know these kinds of haunting, um, you know, so, a vocal like this on top of a very minimal track. Um, or, you know, accompaniment is so um, striking. And it reminds me of I Look to You Mm -hmm. um, in that same kind of way. There's, you know, there's it's just the voice is front and center and that storytelling is front and center. Um, And I think it was just really interesting because, uh, you know, it was written about uh, a relationship, but Sinead O'Connor's version was sort of reimagined in her performance uh, was a reflection on her mother's death. Yeah. Um, and certainly in thinking about what's happened in my life recently, um, I don't know, I really connected to that sort of, that sense of loss mm-hmm. um, and, and that sense of struggle. So, you know, let's see, what are the other key things to say about this song? It spent four weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100. It was a smash everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, it totally changed the game. And I want to say, I mean, in, was what was the, was this the same moment when the SNL controversy happened? No, that no. was a few years later. That was later. Yeah, no, she okay. so this was like her her blast off into world fame and popularity. Yeah. She took a lot of flack for her hairstyle. The 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 rev, uh, the video was revolutionary. Well, I was yeah, we have to talk about the video. I mean, it really like that nowadays you see Gwen Stefani doing this, you see Janelle Monet doing this, the whole one shot, you know, close up of the face emoting. But up until this point, nobody had really done something like that. And, and with a woman to have a shaved head yeah. And just the cropped, you know, camera shot. It well, was... it was such an assault. We were being served Madonna and Janet and Paula and all of these sex bomb, you know what I mean, hairsprayed individuals it was selling the, the, the human form, you know, as a commodity. And then all of a sudden we get somebody coming out that has literally rejected that, wearing a black turtleneck and sh- with a shaved head. And it is just her face. And all that is there are the words and the emotion. And I think that I, if you ask me, I think that a lot of that had to do with our, our discomfort and dealing with the truth of all of that. You know what I mean? We were not... Re- and a lot of the stuff that comes out of Sinead's mouth uh, is her truth, and it's a lot of stuff that's really difficult for a lot of people to swallow. Absolutely. And in thinking of her, you know, as an Irish person mm-hmm. and the way she just, you know, really went after the church is, mm-hmm. um, I think, something in America probably seemed... I mean, it was, it was a big deal for sure, but you can't imagine, I think, like the... Frankly, the, the 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 gumption and the courage it took to sort of make those statements in a European country like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's got tremendous balls. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, and she's been a pioneer and a trendsetter. She's become a. Uh, 
a, a clerical person herself, a clergy, the clerical, is that the wrong word? <laughs> <laughs> totally opposite. She's now a lady Kyle. Stop it. But she's, a, she's an adorned she's minister. She's correspondent. She? She's like a religious. Uh, yes, she is ordained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although adorned. Yeah. I just said or- adorned. <laughs> I'm a disaster. I need a thesaurus. Where's Mariah Carey's thesaurus when we need it? Oh, my God. But, yeah, no, really I was – that. The, what you're talking about, that whole moment, I was really disappointed actually to see somebody that we really love and admire, Madonna, kind of come for her the way that I she know. did shortly after that. It was in 1992. Um, this song came out in 1990. Madonna had just come out with the erotic album and yeah. she was there pushing some of the later cycle sing- singles and she said, fight the real enemy and then ripped up a page, a picture of Sinead. I feel like there's probably a piece of her that was maybe a little jealous oh, that completely. Sinead got to it before her. Completely. Do you know what I'm saying? Of course. I think everyone felt the same way. It's a little bit of a, a cynical moment. Crappy move. Yeah. yeah but she's, you Back know. to the song though. The other yeah. striking <laughs> thing in the video is that... Um, you know, and this has been emulated time and time again as well, or just like the tear from yeah. each eye. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's really it was real. It's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, quite this moving. Is, it's it's crazy too. Like I didn't realize that this song was sung to her mother until I started reading about it. I had always heard it myself. Um, I mean, obviously first through Sinead, but then I had bought the Prince, the Hits, and the B-Sides, where this was first officially released as part of the Prince anthology in uh, 1993. And it was a duet between him and Rosie Gaines, who was a member of his New Power Generation band. He always sings a song with her. She came back in 2000 when he did the year uh, Raven to the Year 2000, his pay-per-view um, concert that he did associated with Raven to the Joy Fantastic and they, you know, reprised their duet that they had always sung. So I had always heard this as a love duet. And I, we had talked about this before. They had originally recorded this for his band called The Family. Right. But it, w- it never found success as part of The Family. It really it, found it with her. And isn't that amazing how, you know, just interpretation of a song can can make it skyrocket? Mm-hmm. Something yeah. that goes completely overlooked otherwise. Totally. Totally. All right. Do you have a big a big one or, or something that's sort of iconic in that? That way. Well, okay. Um, I definitely have a song from an iconic artist. Okay. Um, everybody knows Gloria Estefan, right? Of I mean, course. Estefan, depending on how you're raised and what <laughs> and, uh, and what your first language is. My mom always said Estefan, uh-huh. so that's what I say. Yeah. But um, she had a greatest hits compilation herself back in 1992, and the second single from her greatest hits album was called "I See Your Smile." When I close my eyes, I still can see your smile. It's bright enough to light my life out of my darkest hour. This is such an interesting pick. I, this is one of those songs where I think everyone knows it when they hear it because it's been out in the ether and in the world enough, but... um I don't know. It's not one that's typically in my soundtrack. How did it come into your life? Well, you know, we we bought this tape like a million years ago as a gift for my mom, and it had you know back to back all of Gloria's hits. The soundtrack of definitely my childhood growing up. You know, one, two, three, four, Conga, Get on Your Feet. All of those songs were just you know dancing around in my basement to all those songs. But these were some of the new singles that she came out with, and like like you said, it was always sort of there, right? We've always sort of known about it. But then ever since I, I had recently ended a really long relationship of my own, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're in a relationship, you start listening to words of songs differently. Oh, my god! You start interpreting, you know, movies differently, putting yourself in positions and places with, you know, with the characters. And a new lens. Like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this song, um, what she's talking about, the way that I interpret it is it sounds like she's going through something, a hard time. I, I, you know, she had that back surgery when she was in. Um, after the accident. In, in the accident mm-hmm. on the tour bus. Right. And <laughs> she, the accident, like it's <laughs> after the incident (laughs) things haven't been the same since the incident (laughs) well the accident and i just imagine her lying there like before she's going to go under the knife thinking about her husband and her child yeah you know what i mean when i close my eyes i still can see your smile Mm -hmm. um it's bright enough to light my life out of my darkest hour Mm. like you know when you're when again another moment of being on your knees and and powerless and like who do you think of and like what do you what is most important to you yeah it doesn't matter that you're the world's like foremost 
mega-selling Latina artist. Right. You know what I mean? And your career is skyrocketing. It matters about you love your husband and you want to see your son again. Because those things are illusory. They're not real. Right, right. The real is really simple. Well, and everyone these, can actually relate to that. Yeah. Well, and these are the artists that were always... You and I really gravitate toward people like George Michael and even like RuPaul, even Madonna. Like, you know, you know these people that say it's not about all of these material things. Believe it or not... Right. E- via the message of pop music are giving us these messages about what's really important is our family. What's really important is that the power of your love for somebody can pull you through at your darkest moment. And so I I kind of like subconsciously or consciously connected this with my ex-partner. Okay. You know, going through hard times and things like that, imagining him being there. And so this became one of my unspoken songs to him. So that mm. this is a reason why oh, I love that's to so it. interesting. I, I think people do that all the time. Yeah. They're unspoken songs for someone. Like you you just imagine saying this and, yeah. and, and them hearing it. It goes mm. on my sort of like subconscious mental mixtape. That lies in that space for him. You know what's so weird, too, is I think that sometimes when I've done that, um, you almost think the other person has received it. And so it can actually start to color your real relationship with that person because once it's really um, been absorbed into your psyche and and, and it becomes a part of your, you know, brain and headspace and heart, then all of a sudden it's now colored everything. It's part, yeah. Yeah. It's part of the whole thing. And that happened with this track. You know, the other thing that's interesting about this song and I think we'll talk about it with a few of the other tracks coming up too. Is how um, you know there's uh, there's the 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 sadness in her voice, but it's paired with more of a mid tempo rhythm underneath. And there's mm-hmm. something about the the rhythm of that matched with the rhythm of the music matched with the the content and the quality of her voice that almost that juxtaposition makes it even. Uh, I don't know, even more uh, intense. Emotional. Emotional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like a bass will, the bass will drop in or the rhythm will, like you said, the rhythm will will fall in and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it it hits a stride Mm -hmm. and then it becomes less of like a, 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 a thought in your head or a, 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 an isolated stanza of a poem and it becomes something in motion and real. And yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And another thing I wanted to say about this is that, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a whole huge promotional tour with this single. It was a second single from a Greatest Hits package, so it wasn't a huge deal. But she did do a live version of this on Top of the Pops. Um, or it was a Top of the Pops-esque performance uh, clip on Dutch television, and the audience was slow dancing. And I was thinking about singles mm. right now that, you know, in 2016, we're not releasing ballads. We're not releasing music where we're speaking to the, you know, the, the universal experience or, like, a, a love and connection. I mean, we might be. Well, look at Adele. Not, we're not slow dancing. Yeah, so Adele is probably, like, one of the few people that we have right now that is singing a song of, of the people where people are slow dancing you know what i mean it's just yeah it's it does it doesn't or just breaking down in tears totally. <laughs> well that it's like it's difficult to make a sound bite or a, or an immediately sellable product out of a, a, an idea that's so complex and so ethereal mm-hmm. and like uh Ineffable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's tough to market that. Yeah. But it was nice to get that from her 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to um, switch gears to something a little bit more contemporary, but for me, it really goes to that juxtaposition I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to take a minute to appreciate uh, a song by one of our favorites, Robin, uh, and it's called With Every Heartbeat. Keep trying, but things will never change. So I don't know. 
Brendan, you really, this is taking me there. I love this song. I love this song, too, and it's really interesting. Structurally, it's interesting. Emotionally, it's interesting. Just the history of how it was produced and released, I feel like, over yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> this song had a life for years. Yeah, it's true. Um, and the rest of the songs in that album cycle, too. She exactly. She must have gotten so, yeah. Sick of them? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> um, so, you know, this song, I think, in the U.S., you know, it was really her first single since... Um, do you really want do you really want me mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. yeah um and then it you know it it charted on the singles chart but not significantly but what's what's so amazing to me about this song again is that you hear this really plodding consistent rhythm underneath her voice it's mm-hmm. like the world is moving you're you know you're in an environment things are moving and life is happening and passing you by and she is just sort of frozen in that um, in that moment, you know, speaking about uh, the the sort of the, the pain of of loss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny that you describe the the motion. The video. Well, yeah, the video. Like things are taking shape, literally shapes. You know, like moving yeah. and changing, almost like. So wait, pause. So the video is a for those who haven't seen it, take a look because it's actually sort of innovative, or maybe at the time it was innovative, mm-hmm. maybe less so now. But it's a stop motion piece where she is actually literally doing what I was describing. But what I think is funny is if you didn't hadn't seen the video first you get that sense of the song 100% completely Mm -hmm. so it's um, the video obviously made a lot of sense I always imagined being on the subway exactly I always imagined being on the subway and like you're kind of going away you know what I mean like you're going away from whatever it is that you're leaving behind and well for me it's also just life keeps happening Mm -hmm. and there's you know we all look at these moments as these defining you know experiences where the world just stops except Mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah um, and that's part of the the, the pain of the when pain you go through something tragic yeah. is that your world has been so affected. But you know what? The sun rises, the sun sets. Yeah. People get up and go to work. People take their kids to school. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to your job and collect the paycheck. Like everything just keeps on happening, and um, and nobody's quite been impacted the same way you have. So your world's been rocked. Yeah, and. Um, Everything else is sort of the same. That makes it tough, too, because you're looking for people to connect with and relate with about this. And it's happened just solely in some situations. It's happened just solely to you. Like, for example, in a relationship, which is what it seems to be about. Yeah. Um, it's it happened about to you. Lots of things. So, you know, why don't you feel this with me? Like, why doesn't you, why doesn't the world just stop? Why doesn't mm. why doesn't everything just color with the, the explosion that's going on with yeah. inside me? And over and over again, what's so great? is it just builds there's no chorus Mm -hmm. Um, she repeats just certain lines for for emphasis but it just builds and builds to by the end I want to say I didn't like actually look at this but I want to say the last minute or so of the song she's just repeating Mm -hmm. and it hurts with every heartbeat Mm -hmm. and it hurts with every heartbeat and like that's the point (laughs) that's what you get to and and, and that repetition again matched with the sort of constant strumming of that you know electronic beat underneath her is um it's really sad. There's a really it brings me down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, but yeah, but it, you know, it had the r- reverse effect or the you know the opposite effect of introducing the United States back to Robin. Those of us that haven't been paying attention, myself not being one of those. people. I know, Vic. I you were say. you were I was a on top hardcore of that, the fan. Robin album in 2005 when it came out in Europe when it was like she was winning Swedish Grammys yes. two years before we even got wind of it over here in the United States, and then it went through a whole big re-release, and she did all of those videos all over again and you actually got to see her live do, do, like promoting that over here in the oh United my gosh States, right? it was so good it was before you know all of the gays rediscovered her in the US and she was playing at I want to say Hammerstein Ballroom or one of the ballrooms in Midtown mm. um, and it was empty yeah. I mean what was shocking God. is that like oh. I mean you know everyone packed to the front so it's not like it felt like embarrassing by mm. any means but there but you know if you weren't within the front third of the room it was like spacious I mean, compared it was to when empty. we went for the Body Talk album cycle, oh where we were gosh. in, where were we in for? Bo- for I saw body her talk. like eighty-five places. Yeah, it at was Terminal Five, Terminal 5. And at Radio City, yeah. and I, I and saw it was her packed everywhere. To the rafters, and which it was is great. Sweaty. Oh, absolutely, good for her. But it's nice. To, it's nice to have known that, like. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that we were on the Robin amazing. train. She was in like full on. You know, this is probably two thousand two thousand seven or eight. Yeah, and she's in you know all black with her like tight blonde hair mm-hmm. and um, a little bit less uh, 
you know, for like that whole body talk cycle, she was a little bit more colorful and yeah, like into early the 90s. early nineties vibe. But she went into this more hipster, yeah, kind of uh, Europe, Brooklyn yeah. <laughs> place. Oh, I was just um, love. It's, it's been such an, a reimagining of her since the yeah. you know, the pop that we knew. And I had a little note about this about Swedish pop and about the way that it shaped really the music atmosphere that we've come to know with bands like ABBA, Europe, with that song "Final Countdown" that's in like the mm-hmm. the, the, the commercial right now. Rock set, Ace of Base, the Cardigans, um, Dennis Pop and Max Martin, who is like one of the most, you know, we could have a whole show, oh we probably gosh. will, around this guy, Max Martin, but he's helped shape Melody. You oh know, that's gosh. what it really comes down to. And I saw a really great interview with Robin where somebody was asking, what is it about the Swedes that, you know, sets them apart in terms of pop music? And she's and she said something to the effect of, I really think it's our understanding and use of the, of the melody. Absolutely. You know, the melody from these people is what you remember. I completely you know? agree. And it's also melodies mixed with, I think, even for people who aren't necessarily native English speakers, um, some really interesting, powerful uh, lyrics. And maybe it's because mm-hmm. they're not native English speakers that it's a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sometimes when things are frank and they're simple, yeah. you know... Is it, it that directness? It's that stereotypical directness. Listen, you know, sometimes you have to be direct, and it bangs you over the head now, doesn't it? We should, um, we should note also that Clear Up is the producer of the track. It yes. was a collaboration. and Holla, holla, yes. holla, the Clear Up. Hello. Clear Up. <laughs> clear it up. Um, next. What's next? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to totally switch directions. Yeah, do it. Do it. Rando, rando, rando. Um, My next track is by one half of the folk group from the 60s, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, The name of the track is That's All I've Got to Say. Words are always getting in my way Anywhere I love you That's all I have to tell you Gotta explain this one to me. I, I don't know much okay. about this. Well, let me uh, let me start at the very beginning. Have you ever seen the movie The Last Unicorn? I have not. Okay. Well, it's an amazing. I think it was a 1981 animated film. It was a story about the last unicorn on Earth. All of the unicorns have been dragged into the sea. <laughs> How did they ever come up with the title? It was. Uh, well, listen. <laughs> So, like, he's, sometimes you just have to simplify it all. And, I get it. And tell it. Sorry. Anyway, it's beautiful, really touching, very powerful. Angela Lansbury is in it. Um, Mia Farrow, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is the one who originally sung this song. And it's so it's Jeff a, Bridges? Jeff Bridges. Uh, yeah, he plays a prince. Like the actor? Mm-hmm. He, he sang? Plays, I, I think so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to go back and look at the, at the, but that's the info that I have, is that he's huh. the one. Uh, prince Lear sung it to Lady Amalthea. Uh, so it was a woman, uh, a unicorn who had been turned into a woman in order to be able to uh, save her from this evil king who who is spiteful and trapped all of the unicorns in the sea. And so in order to be not trapped in the sea herself, she got turned into a, unic- uh, a person, a, a princess. And, okay. Uh, Prince Lear falls in love with her. Throughout this whole exchange, she learns, she, you know, she's previously, unicorns are these mystical creatures, they're selfish, you know, but not in a, not in a mean way, just in a not understanding what love is, not understanding loss, not understanding sacrifice. Is that true, like unicorn mythology, or just for this movie? In this, within the mythology of okay. this movie. I don't, I'm not I don't, a unicorn no. aficionado myself. <laughs> this is all, this is derailing. <laughs> My train is crashing right now. Okay, okay, okay. Go. <laughs> anyway. They had an all-star cast, basically. You know, Angela Lansbury was there. <laughs> Everybody was there. And Everybody they got, was... They got Art Garfunkel to do the song. No, they America actually did the music for the movie. America? Um, uh, yeah, America. You know, the band um, Horse With No Name. Have you ever no. been through the dancing on a horse with no name? You, you, you ever heard that no, song? No. They, they're very folky, like, okay. you know. I got that. Um, uh, Jimmy Webb actually wrote most of the music. Uh, he wrote Up, Up, and Away and MacArthur Park. We all know MacArthur Park. I of mean, course. Um, up, Up, and Away in my beautiful balloon. <laughs> so that type of music is what we were hearing We're being in dazzled by the song the stylings talents. of Vicky B. Vicky B. <laughs> so it was like an animated movie musical before okay. Disney had taken and run with it in the late 80s. You know, and they got um, Art Garfunkel to do, um, or he chose this piece. Um, he chose this piece to do a, a, like a, 
a delicate piano broke broken down version of it. Um, and I think I heard somewhere that it was played at his wedding or something like that. Okay, um, but it just has a, it existed a, before Unicorn. No, in no, some no, capacity. no. It was written for the movie. It was written and then, for and the then movie. He re-recorded it for his album Scissors Cut. Mm. Um, and it's just it's a really short piece, delicate. Yeah, it's very yeah. delicate, and there, you can hear the distant sound of a woman singing, and he's plunking on the piano, and it's just very like a lot of people. I, I heard that um, Paul Simon was always jealous that he didn't sing the lead vocals on "Bridge Over Troubled Water." That was their single and their album where they really exploded, and also, ironically, started their breakup. Mm-hmm. And it, Art Garfunkel sung the leads on that. He has this amazingly disarming, powerful voice. Um, that packed so much punch, but he didn't write the song. Paul Simon wrote it, um, and he and I've I've always heard that that you know Paul Simon was really bent out of shape that he didn't sing it himself. Um, but his voice is very uh, very powerful, and also in this piece, very sort of um, disarming and, and gentle. And it, I think it's just the preciousness of it all that really gets to me. That movie. You know, if yeah. you can if you can suspend your whole disbelief and all the silliness that we've been laughing about. Oh no, about of course. It and appreciate the preciousness of it. Sure. In the eyes of a child learning about love and learning about loss and learning about And this is how you're connecting to it. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. And then you hear a man do an, a treatment of it that's very adult. It it really guts me. So, mm. it makes me cry. I don't know <laughs> if it does with you. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't have all the backstory and context, but you know, that's what that that sentimentality is so much built upon your experience. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. That's what this show is about, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what we say. What do you got Um, for me? Well, I mean, we can sort of stick with that era a little bit um, and talk about a song that I think a lot of people just connect to and and, and really makes them bawl their eyes out. Uh, I want to talk about Fleetwood Mac's Landslide. And if you see my reflection in the snow Well, maybe the landslide bring me down. Brendan Fleetwood Mac is one of my all-time favorite bands. I mean, legendary. Oh my god, legendary. Oh, um, go, go. So obviously, this is a song written by Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was first featured on their 1975 album, Fleetwood Mac. Um, but the version I wanted to include was the live version um, that was off the dance. And I think for me, when I think about just the way I relate to that song, that is like the ultimate version for me. Um, that mm-hmm. performance is just stunning. And um, what what are the good facts to say about this song? You, do you have the stats pulled up? I'm trying to find them. Well... As a single, it was released off the dance in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was Stevie's first original contribution to the the band upon joining. Her right. and Lindsey Buckingham used to be their own um, unit called Buckingham Knicks. And yep. they came. They got pulled into Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And this was about. This was written while she was in Aspen. Right. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. And go go. No 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 no. I was just gonna say. I mean, you you uh, you hear this song, and I think when I heard it as a kid, it, I didn't really understand too much. Of it, but the just the sound you can you can feel the weight of it just through the music. Uh-huh. But then, as you get a little bit older and and you start having some experiences where oh my god, you you relate to this idea of you know getting older and things changing, and you're going to have to make some tough choices yeah. if you're going to move on with your life. They and, were really at a crossroads, and she was considering going back to school, exactly, or staying on this seemingly sort of like sinking ship with with you know. Lindsay Buckingham. She were, sings, I've been afraid of changing because yeah, I've built, built my, my life, life around, around you. you. Yeah. Oh, that's my God. And I know what that's like. Right? Honey. It's, and it's really <laughs> tough to jump off in that contemplation. It's not yeah. something that just springs upon you one day. No, it kind of feels like a landslide. It mm-hmm. sort of starts a little bit and then it just cascades yeah. and, and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. Um, and how amazing, uh, how amazingly brave and how amazingly strong is it to, you know, 
write this song with you know the sort of the 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 source of that you know subject matter in your band and then to have to perform it together and record it together I mean that's insane well okay so that's what Fleetwood Mac is right, right. Yeah. Mean, everybody's ex-husbands with everybody everybody <laughs> right. slept with everybody and then there's like let's write a song about it like let's just drop a bomb in the middle of all of us and then but I mean a, a lot of the bands I mean the TLC hello I like a lot of <laughs> I love that we just did Fleetwood Mac TLC. TLC yeah it's the same thing it's the same thing it's a big circle on the whiteboard um <laughs> It, 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 like we uh, we resonate with the personal drama of it, but that's all, also what made it so what made it so palpable and so real. And these lyrics mean so much, and the the performances on the albums and things like that is they were being authentic in the moment and writing about real stuff that was happening. And it's something about that we connected with, you know, as opposed to it just being a cookie cutter, you know, produced you know, track that already existed and they just come in and, you know, with a backup band and record it. It's like these people are living this music. Yeah. You know, this is their story. The chain, when you hear that song, the, mm-hmm. the, the chain keeps us together. It's like mm-hmm. they're playing, it's a dirge and it's like, this is what we are bound to, you know. And that's again why I wanted to pick the live version because it's like, to, just to your point around that, their their catalog, their music is so much about them and their experiences. So to have the sort of privilege of hearing and listening and watching them experience that together it's it's pretty special yeah yeah well i have to say i have to uh, brag and have a little vicky b moment here i was lucky enough to be able to see them in 2014 when they came back on tour i completely forgot about yeah that. yeah yeah christine mcvee had left the band in 2008 and they had performed consistently without her but it was a huge deal she was coming out of you know she was coming out of the self you know, imposed retirement that mm-hmm. she had gone through. She was like, what am I doing? I'm living up here. I'm gardening and I'm making cookies. What the hell am I doing? And there's all of these songs that she contributed so much to. She, Christine McVie was part of the band before Stevie right. and Lindsay ever even came, came on the scene. And and that's one of the cool things about Fleetwood Mac. It was like, there's two female lead singers. I mean, there was three lead singers, really, because right. Lindsay also. But I mean, there was so many voices and so many... That when you got a Fleetwood Mac album... You didn't know if it was going to be Christine singing, if it was going to be Stevie, if it was going to be Lindsay, if they were going to be backing each other, if this is just the chick song. You know what I mean? There was so many kind of like Ace of Bass and ABBA and things like Like it, it was always from a different perspective. And that's part of what made it so diverse and so wonderful. Um, so when she came back, it was like, oh, God, I got to get tickets to this. I had to be Smart. there. And yeah. every single song was amazing. They did, you know, Stevie did this song. She had all her shawls. She turned around like a wild person for Gold Dust Woman, and it was completely amazing. Um, it was legendary. Nobody performs like Stevie. No. And, <laughs> well, and here we are. We're on our LGBT, like, radio podcast thing that we're doing. We're talking about an icon. We're talking about Stevie Nicks. Wh- what do you think is one of the reasons why we gravitate toward her so much. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think because there's just such truth, she's not, um, you know, afraid to go her own way. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. (laughs) I didn't mean to throw that in there, but it's the truth. I mean, I think that when you see someone just sort of really authentically owning their lives, especially for people who are having a hard time doing that, Uh it becomes very inspirational. And then that life becomes aspirational. And then you can go and achieve that. And then you feel like you've really, you're now one with this person you're saying you know i'm going to set my own rules and do it my way and mm-hmm. I, I don't know i think and then of course there's the theatrics and the drama i mean she's turning so, in circles yeah. and and the fabric and I, I don't know she's so magical and multifaceted too and like now all of these albums are coming out and and you're realizing that these photographs of her are photographs that she took herself you know there's just so many mystical artistic elements to her and, yeah. and it's like she has to be an artist and what else is she, amazing about that too is that she's not um she's not you know a conventional uh you know conventionally beautiful woman in the way i mean i think she's beautiful but mm-hmm. of course but there's um you know it, it's again all the more kind of uh compelling and relatable and interesting because i, I don't think that you, she's you can tell you know she, this is not someone who's been propped up because they're you know 
uh, a, a bomb pretty bombshell. Exactly. And exactly. Like that. There's no. a truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's about the magic that she creates. Mm-hmm. You know, like when she steps on the stage, you know, she's got this shawl for this number and it was given to her by this person and it means this. You know what I mean? And when I sing this song, I'm singing to the Sisters of the Moon and you know, Oh like, my gosh. It's a yeah. witchy experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, you can't help but get caught up in yeah. it. And it's wonderful. That time, man, like the 70s, you know, that's where like my parents and like the, the, the upbringing that I had, the record that I heard on the radio, mm-hmm. not on the radio, but on the record player, you know, growing up, like, Rumors was on, the, you know, on rotation 24-7. This yeah. is what I was listening to. You know, it's interesting when we talk about those kinds of icons, because I don't think this person is, you know, obviously doing it the way Stevie does it, but, you know, one of the the, the most successful covers of this song is by the Dixie Chicks, and it's also an amazing um, studio performance and live performance, if you hear any of them, and um, all of the girls and Dixie Chicks are great and we've talked about them maybe a little bit and Wanya will talk about them more in future episodes because I'm a huge mega fan but um, but Natalie Maines to me she doesn't have the same kind of drama we were just talking about as far as her performance goes but her voice and her sort of attitude and her perspective to me is, is sort of similar you know who else got the Stevie Nicks stamp, uh, stamp of approval for a cover of this song is Smashing Pumpkins is I Billy know and, so interesting yeah. he's, he's an interesting character I don't know uh, a ton about but I love he's him. interesting I yeah. love him he is a he's a, a very talented musical producer himself and mm-hmm. also himself very ethereal and poetic and and really multifaceted in his art and things like that and it's the term of the day yeah I get, well I guess so I mean we're all just diamonds right we're all just <laughs> glittering sparkling multifaceted diamonds <laughs> multifaceted do you want to talk about your other Dixie Chicks uh, song um, we can just mention it I mean honestly the truth is it's it's not one of their biggest hits but let's 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 talk about it for two yeah. seconds this is cold day in July. So, Cold Day in July, it's not actually really an original for them. Um, it was written by a man named Richard Lee, and I think it was performed, you know, previously, maybe in the 90s or something. Um, and then the Dixie Chicks covered it on their 99 album, Fly. Um, and you know what? It's a very simple song. It's very straightforward. Um, you know, basically, they're just saying that, uh, you know... Again, it's about losing someone, a relationship, and um, it has to be a cold day in July uh, for this to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the feeling that I get from it. It's very simple again. <laughs> no, shut up, Brendan. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. Well, this is the feeling that I get from it. It's it's like um, the country music, like we were talking about before, has a way of of putting things simply and a way of you know saying something that could be very complicated. I'm the emotions and love and and things like they're very they're very you know uh difficult and complicated and complex and and sometimes when it's simply stated especially yeah. with um, what they do with like the slide guitars and things like that is oh, that yeah. the the instrument that gets like mm-hmm. like, I think so. Yeah, it, sounds right. That will really bring it out. Of course. Like, that sound right the there. The country's always a little bit more literal, but mm-hmm. to our point before around the Swedes, sometimes the literal is um it's it's what you need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they deliver it. I mean, we've I mean, yeah, they Well, really I'm actually do. going to see, talk about reunions. They're do they they continually toured outside the US the Dixie Chicks um, in Canada and in Europe for the last few years usually a couple performances a year Natalie Maines also recorded her own album that was more of a pet project that she released because they had it but I mean mm-hmm. it wasn't something she was looking to do right. um, specifically but they're now coming back together this year for their biggest you know world tour since I don't know the mid 2000s and you're going and oh yes I'm going Woo-hoo! sitting in the floor yes girl <laughs> at the garden that's flawless yeah I'm so excited uh just her voice live, there's nothing like it. But this song in particular, you know, um, the, the whole notion of, you know, it starts off talking about all of these things could only happen on a cold day in July. By the end of the song, it's here comes that cold day in July, it's yeah. here. So you're getting this, the real, you know, full start to finish of, I'm imagining this kind of thing falling apart. And then 
here it goes all the way through to the breakdown. And um, and that's the, that's the journey that can, you know, brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. Well, I've got a f- hell of a segue for you, Brandon. Okay. we're talking about cold days in July. And it just so happens that my next song takes place during the season in which July is located. <laughs> okay. Summer? <laughs> the name of the song by Stevie Wonder is I Never Dreamed You'd Leave in Summer. No. You ever heard this one? Uh, you know what? I know the song because, again, with Stevie, like some of the other artists we've talked about, his voice is so iconic, and he's just been a part of you know my life. And so I do know the song, but it's not you know one that I've had a specific you know experience uh, a cry myself to. Totally. Well, li- listen, it was written and produced by Stevie and co-written by Sarita Wright, who at that time was his wife. It's from his 1971 album "Where I'm Coming From." But where it starts for me is with the movie "Poetic Justice." It's the song where Janet Jackson is looking in the mirror and she's crying like in, while she's hanging out in her apartment she mm-hmm. makes herself popcorn she's flipping the lights on and off and listening to old records and for me right up there with seeing Madonna in a casket in Evita seeing Janet Jackson cry in that movie like that's where it started for me that made me really yeah. emotional because it was a real moment an that icon caught. that you know and relate to and getting this and, and watching them in a, in a difficult in moment in such a way yeah, yeah. and it, despite that it's also a Along the same sentiments that you're talking about with the Dixie Chicks song, Cold Day in July, where it's like, I never dreamed that something like this would happen. I never dreamed that you'd leave me, you know, when things were going, seemed to be going so well. Exactly. When we're at the peak and we're at the top and we're enjoying and experiencing and living life. You also might recognize that this song was sampled in Common's Retrospect for Life. Uh, right before Lauren Hill's solo album, she sung the hook from Never Dreamed You Leave in Summer. Um, it was, like, interpolated into the melody of this common song. Oh, wow. So it was on, like, BET and, you know, okay. like urban radio stations sure. and things like that worked in there. But another interesting fact about this song is Stevie played it himself at Michael Jackson's funeral at the memorial service on July 7th in 2009 in Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. Right before his golden casket. You know what I mean? Like, that, the gigantic cultural event that that was and he and at the end of the song the normal lyrics are you know why didn't you stay um, mm. and he, Stevie said Michael why didn't you stay oh my god you know right so to hear the man who like so many years ago wrote this song for different purposes altogether have to come back and sit there and sing this to Michael my god like wow that, that sounds like end. so much like Elton John Candle in the Wind what a right. similar kind of moment right. Right? right and you know not for nothing but he should have he should have re-released it you know? I know just so, so the world could have appreciated that song again yeah you know well you know it's all about contrasts I mean I think that's what in life art is all about contrast in general but I mean certainly with these tear jerkers we're talking about so much of what sparks that emotional um, experience that fit is having you know something so high matched with something so low totally 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 so what else do you have for me Mr. Brenda oh my gosh Um, I want to talk about um, a show tune okay yeah go um, we haven't done a show tunes episode yet, and someday we will. It's a little um, preview for what's to come. This is a little preview of what's to come. I would love to talk about a very touching song for me from a chorus line called What I Did for Love. What I did for Really feel you on this one, Brandon. What's your story? Yeah, well, you know, there's so many layers and levels, <laughs> <laughs> um, and why this song is meaningful for me. I mean, first of all, um, you know, it was a song that I just grew up with because my parents were very 
big fans of theater, and um, I, they always took me to see shows growing up, and and they really loved the theater. And so, uh, you know, this soundtrack was just constantly on, and really was a, a big part of I think why I was also drawn to performing and to dance and all of those kinds of things. Um, so the song itself, you know, has the you know interpretation in the show, which is all about you know giving it up for for art and for doing what you love and having no regrets, but acknowledging that it's temporary and it will pass and mm-hmm. and then the sort of the challenge of of, of living that um, and that really is the, the core of the song but it's been covered and and utilized by so many other artists in so many other ways and very often it's also treated with a more you know relationship Ship orientation mm-hmm. um well, it was in the movie. Exactly, which was so disappointing. Not very successful. I know. Case, the yeah. movie was disappointing in lots of ways. Um, but yeah, I actually hated that they made that song about Zach and Cassie in the movie. Because the movie especially really should have been about um, the life of these dancers. Yeah. And they should have gotten to own this song well, the way they're the supposed to. Well, that's what the show is about, right? Yeah. It's based on uh, like interviews. Workshops. Workshops. Yeah. Michael dancers. Bennett. Michael Bennett would go downtown. They'd be in the studio together. And these dancers would talk about their experiences in their lives. And then they would build out these songs. And, um, you know, Priscilla Lopez, who was the original Diana, who sings the song in the show. She was um, nominated for a Tony for this. She was nominated for a Tony. She won the Obie Award, I think, and a couple other awards for it. Did not win the Tony, but Uh was nominated. Um, But yeah, these are based on their experiences. Well, this makes sense why it would mean so much to you, Brendan, especially the life of a dancer. I didn't even get to the drama. Okay, go. So the other level of all of this is that, you know, for my parents, um, you know, going through their breakup, this became a huge song in our lives um, uh-huh. because this was a, a point of connection for them and you know again the, the reason why I'm so drawn to music and, and the power of it is because that's really how I was raised um, and and for my for my mom and dad this song was huge about the respect they have for one another the how they needed to move on but not having regrets and it became a real model for um, you know how to live your life how to how to how to approach the tough stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can tell I mean, the, the way, again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning with the, the way that people spoke about your father and your parents is like that you guys really put your everything. You really lived out loud. You know, um, mm. he really lived out loud. And it sounds like, you know, he, he wasn't um, he wasn't afraid to follow his passion. And then that's definitely very apparent in this song. And it makes sense why a song like this would resonate. And then you add the whole yeah. dancer thing on top of it. Yeah. And it's like, holy crap. And, I, and, and when I was a teenager and was um, really trying to, you know, move forward, pursuing a, a career and a life of performing, um, I got to do a community theater version of a chorus line uh, playing Mark. And I was was, you know, in I was maybe 16 years old and everyone in the show was in their 20s and 30s. It was like an older kind of production. So it also this song to me is also just so specifically associated with this time in my life where I was emerging and learning and 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 figuring out sort of who adult Brendan is and I don't yeah, know. It's yeah. pretty it's pretty powerful. Yeah. What's next I for you? I have another powerful one myself, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Um, okay, so this song is performed by somebody who's getting a lot of a lot of press. There's a lot of buzz around her name right now. Um, Nina Simone. There's a new movie coming out called Nina. Zoe Saldana is yep. controversially playing the lead role. Yep. But I just saw a really great documentary on her called What Happened, Miss Simone. Um, that was amazing. But the name of the song is Everything Must Change. Except... Rain comes from the clouds Sunlight from the sky Hummingbirds to fly Everything's changed Yeah, this is a tough one. This is a deep one. This yeah. is one of those tough ones. Um, this is from her album Baltimore from 1978, um, written by Bernard Inger. Um, I first heard this actually on a cruise ship, a friend of mine that I was working with. Um, we had like a, a cabaret where all of the performers were able to perform their own selected songs. And we got to see little tastes of who they were outside of the structure and the sort of, you know, the everyday of the, the shows that we did on the ship. Um, 
and he was a, he was a performer that was older than most of the cast and perhaps a little bit misunderstood had a little bit uh, more steep of a learning curve with a lot of the choreography and we're working with a lot of younger people that you know everybody's really feisty and fiery we've got our eyes on the prize everybody wants to go on and become these big huge Broadway stars and to hear this man sit there and sing this soulful song about you know everything must change nothing stays the same you know so much is going to happen to you in your lifetime that you're not even going to recognize. But there's one thing that's always going to be the same. The sun is going to rise. You know, um, you know, it was it was really that was the first time I had ever heard the song and really understood what it meant. Yeah. And then now hearing, you know, uh, this that's why I chose the Nina Simone version, because mm-hmm. several people have covered it. Absolutely. Since then. But well, and her life is just. You oh, know, my goodness. Talking about, you know, we talked about Whitney up front, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking about another iconic voice that just you cannot hear a Nina Simone song without relating to all of the, you know, just challenges that she's had to face in her life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all started when she was a little girl, and she was literally trained on the other side of the tracks in, in classical piano, and she mm-hmm. wanted to become the first black female classical pianist. And she was always displeased at the way that it turned out. She was rejected from the school that she applied for. Yep. And a lot of people believe based on race. Didn't she get an honorary degree at the end of her life? Yeah, but for some, it never seemed of to course. make no, her happy. Make, that, that, that does not make up for it. Right. No, 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 of I'm course. I know, that. I know, I know. But yeah. So the, the, that that colors everything that she did since then. And she had to make music to to keep herself you know, going, to keep herself alive. And even after she went to, to Africa, for a long time and got away from the spotlight and away from you know the media and all that she had to come back and she had to sit back down and, and make a living you know what I mean so that that colors also all of the songs that she sang it really really powerful stuff and inspired a lot of the people that we have before us right now mm-hmm. that, you know these singers like cite her as well and it's also such an interesting moment to be thinking about Nina Simone with what's happening in our own political landscape right now I mean she was so at the forefront of um, you know being outspoken around these issues of civil rights Mm -hmm. um, you know in the 60s especially and uh, that's a that's a tough thing to do then and it's amazing to think that here we are you know 50 years later and we have such tensions yeah Um, it's it's shocking yeah we need more artists like her that are yes. afraid. You, you know, it wasn't. It was a controversial position that she that she took. You know, but um, <clears throat> we, you know, with having to do with violence and, and things like yeah. that. Yeah, often you know, but and react using music to react to the day. I mean, mm-hmm. to react to what was happening. And, yeah. yeah, we need more people like her. Yeah. Would you have um, anything else to maybe? Yeah, close us I mean, out I here? think we need to wrap up probably, and I I think a good one to wrap up with. Um, on my end is is a real storyteller and someone who's used her music to um, share and and go through a, a lot of pain and a lot of uh, you know joy. wins and joy as well. But I want to talk about Alanis Morissette and a relatively unknown track called "Simple Together." This grief overwhelms me. Did you know this one before uh, getting the, getting together on this? I didn't. I didn't. You always take me right to Atlantis Town, and you taught me. So <laughs> Do many, I do that? <laughs> you, you, she's one of your favorite artists. I feel like she is. She's somebody she that pours it out. Yeah. She just pours it out. What, what's so interesting? I mean, she is a true storyteller. I loved Jag Little Pill as so many did in the nineties. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I followed uh, when Thank You came out. Um, which was the lead single from her second album. But it was a little bit weird. She'd gone away. She was having a different moment. Now, as an adult, it's probably one of my favorite songs on this planet. Mm -hmm. At the time, I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. I remember watching the video, and um, I think she was naked walking through different places. Yeah, yeah. and I just remember then that whole album was a little bit less melodic than Jag Little Pill was, and I I sort of fell off with Alanis. Mm -hmm. Um, As most people did. 
as most people did. And then um, Vicky and I, a million years ago, um, did a little stint at a theme park in Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> and um, I met I met a wonderful person there, and um, we both did. And she was all about this album by Alanis called Under Rug Swept. Um, it came out in February of 2002. And uh, really, it was the first time in her career that she took on the sole um, role of, of writing and producing um, her own work. And that album is just incredible. Um, it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart um, and eventually went platinum in Canada and sold huge in the U.S. I would say it was a little bit more of the Alanis resurgence, if there was one, yeah. post-Jagalop Hill. It was that album. But every song is just mind-blowing to me. Um, so that was sort of how she came back into my life. But later in 2002, she released this um, you know, new uh, complimentary uh, compilation DVD. DVD, of course, um, called Feast on Scraps. And it was... Uh, included some previously unreleased tracks and Simple Together was one of them. And this song, man, it's just, it's really, really straightforward, but it's just like a diary entry. I think anyone who's had to um, end a relationship can, can probably relate to on some level. It's all about just how, you know, you imagine someone as your best friend. You've been living your life together and you've been doing all the day-to-day things that you do. And, and as you do that, you start building dreams and hopes and thinking about, you know, family and travel and and it, it just the pain of watching that dream sort of crumble and having to recontextualize everything. Um Oof, I don't know. Yeah. There was some <laughs> lyrics in it, I have to say, that were particularly devastating. Or even even just the listing. Devastating is the word. The listing is like we're taking stock of like checking off the boxes. Like I thought we'd be evolving together. I thought we'd be healing together. I thought we'd be having children together. I thought we'd be a family together. Like there, she goes over a list of just all of the things. And yeah, that really, really really sent me, like, when I was listening to this, it was tough, especially contextualizing it with your life and and things I know that you've gone through. I know she's always been super, like, uh, a conduit for your sort of voices and emotions to go through. Yeah, you know, I don't love to journal by hand. Like, writing in that way has never been my processing. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things about rediscovering Alanis has been, I feel like I can channel a lot of what I'm feeling, like you just said, sort of through her. I get to borrow her journals and Mm -hmm. sort of, um, you know, put them through my own spin. And and I've really enjoyed that. She's always had a, a way with words with it too mm. have you, she's been interviewed by Oprah recently on Oprah's uh, Super Soul chapter. Sunday yeah oh Super Soul Sunday Super right. Soul Sunday and she is just so man I mean for are you kidding person, these are my worlds collide yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is must see viewing for me yeah. absolutely yeah and she speaks so eloquently and beautifully and it's like wow she really has it together and yet is still capable of writing stuff that still is it's still trying to work out so much confusion and pain yeah um, I would argue I mean not that she doesn't have it together but I don't think she has it particularly together. I think it's um, she's she's very um, intelligent and well read and loves to process. Yeah, and so she just loves to process. She actually has a podcast right now called Conversations with Alanis Morissette, and she brings on different um, psychotherapists and sort of self help genre people. That a lot of them, it seems like from the episodes that have been uh, that have aired or been released so far, are people that were her therapists at one point in time. That are now her friends. They stopped working working together in that capacity. So and they could friendly. make a radio show together. Well, well so sense. they could. Well, no, no, so, <laughs> so they could become friendly. But yeah, she she loves to process. Yeah. Um, but it's beautiful. Well, it's been beautiful processing all of this with you, Brendan. Thanks. You too, it's Vic. It's been a good episode, a cathartic yeah. healing episode. Sometimes you just need a good cry. Yeah. We didn't even talk. We know we're going to throw on the EP. The actual song itself that I wanted to talk about is called Cry by Kelly Clarkson. Oh. We're not going to talk about it now, but that is one where if we want to talk about just people who, who belt raw emotion, Kelly Clarkson nails it time and time and time and time. And time again. There's so many conversations that oh my gosh. about her. But we will. We will. In upcoming episodes. All There's right. so much in store. <laughs> Are you excited for the future? I'm excited for more tears and more love and more laughs. I'm throwing my my Kleenex in the trash. All right, we're done. (laughs) We're done with tears. Bye, everybody. Bye.
If you like our show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are hot. And if you really like our show, we'd love a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter at Back on Track Show, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and all of your favorite ways of time. <laughs> we love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and check out all of our mix a playlists. And if you're outraged that your favorite track didn't make the list, visit us at www.backontrackshow.com and let us have it. You know, we'll tell you what we think, honey. All right, we're done. Peace.